This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Dr. Gene Clifford's Neighborhood Therapy. Want to shed your life of your worries along with the rest of your neighbors? Worried your husband might find out and not like it? Not at Dr. Jeans. Your husband will never find out because it's cash only at Dr. Jeans, and it's in the safety of your own neighborhood. Feel the support of your neighborhood friends as you reveal your most intimate secrets to a definitely accredited doctor. Your new neighbor, Gene Clifford. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Father's Day on Pod Cemetery with 1989's Stepfather 2 and 2013's Insidious Chapter 2. But before we get into our movies, Kelsey, we gotta talk about two other movies. Number one, we watched the newly released Conjuring 3. What yes, did you think did. of it? I thought it was better than two, so that's good. Yeah. Not as good as the first one, but pretty decent. Pretty much the only thing I heard from it is that, oh, that was a disappointment. Is the only comment I heard about it watching it. Now, watching it myself... I disagree. I was like, no, actually, I was surprised at how much I wasn't disappointed. Because the third Insidious was a big disappointment for oh, us. Oh, the third Insidious is terrible. I mean, I assume a lot of the reason why we didn't like it is because they just completely removed it from the context of the first two. Yes. And it might as well have been a completely different series at that point. Yes. But I, I don't know. I'd have to watch it again to know how much in and of itself is it actually a bad movie. But this, I was surprised at how much I actually really liked it. Now, of course, like you say, The First Conjuring is the best one. It's so good. It's very good. Uh, We were also surprised to find out that this one was directed by the guy who directed La Llorona. Now, we liked The Nun. Yeah, we liked The Nun. We were surprised by how much we liked it, because we've heard awful things about it and as it well. And it looked terrible. It did. It looked really bad. Well, it wasn't a wonderful movie, but no. we enjoyed it. It was... It far exceeded our expectations. Yes. And we haven't seen La Llorona because it's like... We also heard we, that we was We thought terrible. it was going to be terrible. But now we're like, is it? But I don't right. want to walk into that trap of, yes, yes, it is actually terrible. Right. <laughs> but we were surprised that this third movie in a franchise that we generally like, directed by not the original director, the director of spin-off... Movies in the Conjuring universe, the <laughs> darkest chapter in the Conjuring universe. Uh, <laughs> movies such as Annabelle and the Nun and all of them, that it still held up and was actually better than the second one, in our opinion. We're not going to give you any spoilers or anything like that, but Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are fantastic together, and they should make movies together forever. (laughs) (laughs) Love the two of them. Yeah, and we'd recommend if you have an HBO Max subscription that you watch it. Or if you want to go into an actual theater, 
You should watch it. I'd recommend it. Yes. The second movie we are not actually going to talk about, but feel like we should mention, is that last night, Kelsey went with a friend to see Fresh. Am I allowed to say that? You saw it. That's what you're allowed to say. You can say you saw it. Okay. But no opinions about it, no comments, no spoilers, no nothing. You did, in fact, see Fresh, uh, which... I looked online and there is practically nothing about this movie. And from Kelsey, keep it that way. Yes. She was no opinion about the movie. She was disappointed that I did not go with her. Yes. That could mean anything. (laughs) But I'm a little disappointed that I didn't go. But I will absolutely... I'll see it when it comes out. Whenever it comes out. Whenever it comes out. Because we saw (laughs) we saw Free Guy (laughs) fucking two years ago now. And we're just now getting a release date trailer. It's coming out in August. I know it's not a horror movie, but it's like still, it's been two years (laughs) and extenuating circumstances on that one. But we'll see what happens with Fresh. Also, guys, saw a movie on Netflix called Things heard and seen? Don't watch it. It's not good. Was this when I was at work? I was in Arizona. Oh, right. Okay. Not good. Not good. That's a bummer. Yeah. What's it about? Amanda Seyfried and her husband and her husband is not a great guy. Oh, right. Yeah, you were telling me about this one. Yep. Okay. It does not have the Kelsey seal of approval. Nope. So you can take that as you will. (laughs) All right, let's get right into our first movie for Father's Day. 1989's Stepfather 2, colon, Make Room for Daddy. (laughs) Directed by Jeff Burr, written by John Auerbach, based on characters created by Carolyn Lefcourt, Brian Garfield, and Donald E. Westlake. Starring Terry O'Quinn, Meg Foster, Carolyn Williams, and Jonathan Brandis. Meg Foster, the female lead in this movie, is Holly from They Live, the love interest who turns on him. Spoilers for They Live. And she is so much better in that movie than she is in this. (laughs) We'll talk about this. She is also Evil Lynn in Masters of the Universe. Never seen it. We lived in the place where a lot of that movie was filmed. Never seen it. (laughs) Anyway. What is Stepfather 2 about? It's Stepfather 1 all over again, but with an even more ridiculous plot. He moves in with a new family and things go bad. Yeah, it's... I mean, we'll get into whether or not you should watch it, but it is remarkably uninspired when it comes to a sequel to a movie that we thought was okay. More than okay. We enjoyed it thoroughly. We really liked we did. the first yes, one. Yes, yes, correct. The movie is available with ads on Roku, Tubi, and Pluto. You can find it on subscription services like Prime and FlixFling. You can rent it for as low as $2 up to $4 on most major services. The $2 is on Google and YouTube. And you can buy it for 7 to $10 on those same services. The $7 is also on Google and YouTube. Should people watch... Stepfather 2. No. No? Just see the first one and enjoy it for what it is. 
Even though this one does have Brandis, but he's barely even in it, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, surprisingly so. It has a lot of baffling moments that you're like, what? (laughs) It's just trying to rehash the first movie again, and it does a much worse job of it. He doesn't even have those fun mental breaks where he... Remember the moment, the twist in the first one where he's like... Wait, who am I here? Yes. Like, that's a such a great moment, and you get, like, practically none of that here. Yeah. No. And the woman is so limp and fragile, and it's just... The story is And the a little same. dumb she is. Yeah, like, it's she, just... How did you not pick up on this? It's very... This was literally just for the money. Yeah. And they made a Stepfather 3. But he's not in he's that He's not one. in it. No, it's not Terry O'Quinn. Terry O'Quinn is probably the best part about this movie. And he's not even that great. It's yeah. very phoned mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Everything about this movie is dull. Dull is a great word. I mean, insofar as it's boring a little, but it's also like there's nothing sharp about it. Exactly. There's nothing vibrant about uh-huh. this. There's nothing scary there's nothing fun there's nothing new it's just a limp version of the first one yeah so if you have already seen the first one you got it you're good (laughs) you don't need to see this one if you haven't seen the first one why are you watching this one go back and watch the first one (laughs) and the original with terry o'quinn not the remake with the dude from six feet under no the cut one Nip Tuck. Nip Tuck, yes. All right, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1989's Stepfather 2, Make Room for Daddy. Find a wife to call your own daddy, daddy. Give the kids a happy home. Daddy's come to play. better family man than me. Stepfather 2. Make room for dad. Coming to a theater near you. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Stepfather 2 begin? So, remember last week when we couldn't remember what happened at the end of the first one? That's all okay, because they remind you. Yes. And both Chris and I were like, I thought he died. Because in the first one, what we see is him being stabbed and falling down a set of stairs. Yes. So what the second movie says is, yeah, but he lived. Uh-huh. He has <laughs> scars on his chest now. Yeah, but he survived. Uh-huh. It's all okay. Which, I mean, I guess you can, I guess people survive shit. Yeah. 50 Cent got shot how many times? <laughs> I don't know, 17 or something? <laughs> that is 50 Cent, In the right? face. <laughs> yes, that is 50 Cent. And this first portion of the movie where he's in... The hospital is actually kind of interesting, I thought. But unbelievable in every way. Why would these insane psychopathic people be allowed to be around saws and have spikes for the exact reason that we see? Yes, exactly. But I mean, privileges for prisoners is nothing new, dependent on this. Like, they're not just opening up a woodworking shop. For whoever wants to go, are you a mass-murdering psychopath? Get in there with a saw. Well, that's what they did. No. (laughs) They selectively chose who got to be in there based on 
their mental progress. And that's what we can assume here. I could absolutely believe that that would happen and that this would be a potential consequence of that. What is this? What is what happens? So he's allowed not only is he allowed to just plain make this dollhouse with these dolls in it, but he's also allowed to keep them on his person and carry them around. When again, they have spikes. They are deadly as he shows us. Yeah, but shivs are so common in actual, you know, maximum security prisons and shit like that. Like, you're gonna get people carrying weapons. The fact that it happens here is not unbelievable. Well, it's all, of course, because of the bleeding heart therapist who wants him to be unchained and wants him to be in there without a guard and... I feel like this movie has a, has thoughts on therapy. <laughs> yes, this movie definitely has thoughts on therapy and therapists and how pointless and useless it all uh-huh. is. It's so funny because it sounds like I'm kind of on their side. It's not true. I'm all for therapy. Yeah. I am all for rehabilitation. I'm not for putting a dangerous killer in possession of spikes. Yes. I'm not for uh, give, putting a dangerous killer in a position where he's alone with a doctor. Yeah. Without his uh, handcuffs on. Like, it's, you know, there's just certain steps that it's just like, well, that w- that but escalated quickly. I could believe that a therapist would do something risky for the benefit of their patient. And this movie has thoughts about that. Yes, it does. So... He's alone, he's uncuffed, he's showing his therapist this model house he built, and he's like, why did you build that? And then he just smashes it, and the doctor's like, oh shit, presses the button, the guard comes in, and he's like, no, 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 it's okay, I just wanted to show you this. And then he starts to piece it back together. It's beautifully crafted. More than that. It's much more. What's that? It answers your question of why would a man murder one family and then marry into another time and again. Wait, wait a minute. Wait. Wait. You see, Joe? Eternal optimist believes that he can fix whatever's broken. So he just keeps on trying. It's a metaphor for him putting his life and his mental state back together, getting but, his house in order. But really, he's doing this entirely to put the doctor in a boy cried wolf situation. So he yeah, brings the buzzer, partially. which brings the d- the guard in quickly. It also allows him to get the little figurine with the spike in it in his pocket, whereas he had to carry that in with the guard before. So it allows him to have it on his person and get up from his chair without having alerted anybody. Yes, it's a very well thought out plan. Yeah, and so when the guard goes back out... He stabs the dude in the back of the neck. I'd like to point out this extremely well-thought-out plan comes from the same man who kills a woman and later in this film and then will proceed to whistle after he does yes. so and take a bottle of special wine from this woman's house. Yeah. Like, 
one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> yes. This intelligent man here is does not seem as intelligent later on in the movie. No, he makes huge mistakes. That the wife is oblivious to. just completely to. oblivious. This is what I mean when I say she's not that smart. So it doesn't movie. matter that he makes these enormous uh-huh. lapses of judgment because she's just like, oh, Jean, <laughs> so sweet of you to get wine in the middle of the night. <laughs> wine specifically that my friend has from her family. Yes, and that was specifically called out to me and pointed out. Earlier. And I'm not going to remember that. Anyway, we're not even there yet. He kills this guy. When the guard does eventually come in, he kills the guard, takes his clothes. He had been saving his shavings, and he makes a fake mustache <laughs> that he then wears out, and all the alarms go off, but he's able to get out scot-free. Then he starts to build a new life, including identifying an obituary of somebody whose life he wants to take over. And the first woman he sees, he becomes infatuated with. Yes. That's his realtor who's finding him this lease on a house that he wants. He also kills a guy for his car. Oh, yes. Can't forget that. And he also learns about Loma Linda from watching Dreamhouse. And Johnny Gilbert's about to tell us about some of the houses offered by our family of builders. Here they are, John. You could be moving to Palm Meadow Estates in lovely Loma Linda. That's right, Palm Meadow Estates, just an hour's drive from downtown Los Angeles, could be your home sweet home. Family values and easy living will have you agreeing that Palm Meadow Estates is where the American dream becomes a reality. Tree-lined streets welcome you to these dens of domesticity, where all areas of everyday life have been planned down to the tiniest detail. Schools, shopping centers, and houses of worship for almost every faith make Palm Meadow the ideal family spot. Yes, which was a real show. It wasn't on anymore, and the announcer is not the actual announcer. That that was an insert, but that show footage we saw, I think it was Bob Eubanks or somebody, that was all real. Well, you might be wondering, he just escaped from a hospital? How's he able to afford a house? Yeah, I'm wondering that too, guys, and they're not going to tell you. He finds a wallet full of probably a good $1,000 on the guy who he kills to take his car, which is, I guess, good starting money, but... But he's going to start up a practice, and Kelsey points out, how are they paying him? (laughs) Does he have a cash-only therapy practice? (laughs) Anyway, yes, he falls in love immediately with Meg Foster, playing Carol Grayland, who's his realtor. And she's the most, she's such a strange character, guys. Yeah. She talks in, like, a a whisper the entire movie. Uh Uh-huh. And she seems- She has a- Almost, I, I, maybe not husky, but like something like that voice. But it's very breathy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we know her from They Live. That's not how she talks. A little bit. But not this pronounced. She seems super weak to me. She it's seems super fragile. Yeah, yeah. Very uh-huh. submissive and like. Sedate. <laughs> yeah, sedated. And uh, it's it's very irritating throughout the film, especially since that. I think it's kind of part of her character, and that's why she's supposed to be so willing to accept all of his lies. But, I don't know, it was a lot better in the first film, where she seemed totally strong, but he also seemed like he had this believable life. 
Yeah. Whereas in this one, and I guess I, I guess you could argue, well, he doesn't have as believable of a life because he just escaped from a mental hospital. I guess. But then he just gets lucky enough to meet this woman who is this exact character who happens to live across the street, who happens to be divorced, who happens yeah. to have a child. Uh-huh. I don't know. It just doesn't... It's, it's just not a great movie to yeah. me. Yeah, agreed. And Brandis is this typical kid who is all messed up about his parents' divorce and kind of blames both of them and is mad at both of them. And she's trying to make him feel better by getting him pizza and a baseball card for Guerrero. But I guess no, Guerrero a, got traded. Yes, a bunch. She bought all the baseball card packs, which, as you know, are all randomized. And he's looking specifically for a Pedro Guerrero card for, on the Dodgers because this is all taking place in a Los Angeles suburb. And she bought him all the packs that this store had. And she, he, she's like, oh, Guerrero's bound to be in there somewhere. And then he's like, you don't even know anything, Mom. You don't care enough to pay attention. The Dodgers traded Guerrero. He did went you, to the St. Louis Cardinals. Did you collect baseball cards, honey? I did, yes. You did. Uh-huh. Not like so avidly, but... You know, yes. I And, of course, Dodgers rank higher than any other baseball card you could find. Boo. Yep, sorry. Boo. We're Angels fans in my family. Yeah, uh-huh. I guess I'm not family, huh? <laughs> nope. But so she is watching the news that night, which tells all about this guy. But guess what, guys? It doesn't bother to show a picture. Yes. What is that? Which they did in the newspaper, but they don't on television. Yeah. Just what? And that's what I mean when I say, because I was telling Chris, I was just like, the movie is absurd. And Chris was like, how is it absurd? It's not weird. And I was like, it's not that it's weird. It's absurd that it just lives in this world where all these things happen specifically for the plot like it's yeah. just like okay that's fair that's absurd that they wouldn't have a picture of him yeah and she would know automatically but you know they wouldn't have a movie then right this i will give the movie there are funny moments video such dating as the video dating <laughs> scene you want to tell us what happens here chris he's looking for a new wife to start up a family again because that's all he wants is the perfect family. And he's watching this video <laughs> of all these women looking for dates. And that's how these services work. You sign up for them. You give them money. They send you a tape and a list of all these women with features, you know, like details and stuff like that. And you watch them talk. And then you tell the service who you liked and would be interested in actually seeing. And then if they say the same thing about you, then they connect you. And all these women are just absurd. <laughs> There's a woman on there just being like, I just want a man who can give me diamonds <laughs> in cash. What do I look for in a man? Whoosh. Um, I look for a luxury automobile, trust fund, platinum American Express card, intelligence, Sense of humor, four carat rock. And I can sit on my patoot and do nothing. <laughs> like just these absurdly yes. bad yes. video dating profiles. There's one where she just kind of stares around. Yes, and he's like intrigued. <laughs> 
I think he likes that she's a little, you know, submissive where he's like, ooh. And then, like, nothing comes of that. Instead, he's interested in his realtor. Yes. Carol. Then we get a bizarre scene where they're doing group therapy. Group therapy. With all the ladies on the street. And it's not for, like, specific issues. It's just all the ladies in the neighborhood talking about their relationships. It's random shit. Like the woman. What this one was about? Oh, God, I loved it. I loved it so much. She talks about how her husband gets all hot and bothered when she hums show tunes. And he's like, well, there's nothing wrong about a husband having pride in his wife's voice. It isn't exactly my voice Jake's so interested in. What do you mean? Jake likes me to hum when I, you know. (laughs) No, Sally, I'm afraid I don't. He likes me to hum when I, when I kiss him down below. So she has to hum show tunes while she's giving him head. And the quote is, this week I was supposed to learn cats. He wanted me to hum a song. Well, as they say, music soothes the savage beast. Not Jake. It gets him all hot and bothered. Especially show tunes. Show tunes? Yeah. This week I was supposed to learn cats. (laughs) And I didn't have time, right? Yes. I was just so busy I didn't have time. And that really upset him. (laughs) Probably the funniest thing in the entire movie. It was very strange. Now, this movie is going to make this weird thing about him with sex, where he gets all uncomfortable around the thought of sex. He doesn't want to have sex. Which is possible. Having seen the first movie, it is possible that that's that's always been the case. But it was never indicated as far as we remember in the first movie. Not at all. It's that... It's a new character trait for this guy. Yeah. So I don't know what that's about. I think they were trying to suggest that he. Oh, isn't it weird that he's off put by sex? He doesn't want the sex part. He wants the family part. Which makes me uncomfortable because it feels like they're trying to make him seem gay. Or asexual. And like, that's a bad thing. Maybe. Which is weird. Which is shitty. Yeah. But. Yeah, or, you know, oh, he's crazy, and anyone who's not interested in sex is crazy. You know, like, that's kind of shitty, you know? So he tries to ingratiate himself on their family. He helps Brandis build a ramp. Yeah, for his skateboard. Yeah, for his skateboard. And he tries to become, like, the father figure and tells her, boys will be boys, don't worry so much. So was I, and yeah. There's also this awkward moment where he's getting a picture of the two of them and like he keeps telling them to move this way and yeah. move that way to get, get like the perfect Lean photo. In more. And I do enjoy like her look of like why does it Just have to be so picture. perfect? But you know the picture did look good. But that's the point. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's all about image. Yeah. It's not about realism. It's not about the moment. It's about being perfect. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the best character development moment of the entire film. Yep. He's having another group therapy day, but she's not there because her ex has shown up. Yeah. 
And he's distracted the entire time. And Maddie notices this because she's talking about how she takes like a intelligence test and she doesn't do well. And he's like, well, maybe you'll do next better next time. And she's like, on an intelligence test? And he was like, well, you could always be in a better frame of mind. The whole thing is intelligence tests are bullshit anyway. No, I, I don't know that it's a it's specifically an intelligence test, but it tells you something inherently about yourself. And so it shouldn't change taking it from time to time is the point. And he wasn't up on that, which made her go, hmm, because she mentions the name of the test and he seemed not to recognize what that was. And that gets Maddie questioning. Oh, I thought it was more because she says you weren't listening to a word I said, were you? Yeah, well, I think it's both of those things. Okay, She's going to come back. Later that night, this is Maddie, who is Carol's best friend. She's going to come back later that night because she left her postwoman's hat because she's a she's a male woman and she's just going to fucking walk in the door. Yeah, well, she doesn't trust him at this point and she shouldn't, obviously. She asked him, she's like, well, you weren't listening to word I said, were you? And he's like, up, oh, don't worry. It's all in here. And he points to his notebook. Everything you said is written down. I'll be able to look at it later. I'm just n- I'm just not feeling that great right now. Right. But here's the thing. <laughs> I don't really care if you're right or you're wrong. You don't have the right to just walk into people's homes I wrote, and look at their shit. You're just asking to die when you walk into the dude's house like that. And you don't have the right to look at people's fucking mail. Like... There are other ways to go about figuring this guy out without yeah. doing illegal practices. What... Is he doing at this moment when she's breaking into his house? Not breaking in, entering into his house. Well, he catches her, but he doesn't. He doesn't do anything. He sees no, her, but, but he doesn't do anything. But he's in the garage, just like oh yeah, flipping out, which is akin to the first one. Yeah, where the daughter walked in on him, freaking out in the in the basement, which they don't have in. This yeah, they one. don't have, which is a fun little nod to the original. He has to use his garage. Yeah, but he's got like saws running and and stuff like that, so she can't she can't hear him flipping out. But she looks into the notebook to see like what was he writing. Well, she opens it and it's totally blank. Now here's the thing: that could be a new pad of paper. Uh huh. That could be a different a different notebook. Like you don't know. Or it could just be that he's not listening at all and not writing shit. Right. Maddie walks away from this interaction really, really creeped out. She leaves. She's like, I just needed my hat and your door was open, but I called out to you. I just wanted to grab my hat. And then she leaves. And later on, she'll tell Carol that she thinks he's weird. And Carol's like, what? You were talking about how I should start dating him before. And now you think he's a creep. She's like, yeah, now I think he's creepy. And she's going to start doing her own investigation. And her investigation is going to entail first looking through his mail and noticing he doesn't get any mail from friends from where he came from. Connecticut or something, I think is what he says. And then later on, we'll open his mail and see that it's from his old high school and that that high school was had an entirely black basketball team that he was supposedly on. Yes. That's how she's going to figure out that he's not who he says he is. Now, this is really upsetting to me because I do not believe for even a moment that she would go to him with this information first. Right. Not at all. 
especially the type of person yeah. that she is. The character you have yes. created would certainly have gone to her best friend first, if not the police. Yes, 100%. Now, could you argue that perhaps she wouldn't go to the police because what she did, did is a federal crime? Possibly. But she most certainly would have gone to her best friend. Yes. There, there's just no question of that. This is stupid. Yeah. In my mind. Just dumb. Totally. Agreed. But yeah, so she confronts him with that and his excuse is, let me tell her myself. <laughs> Why? And she's just Why like. Why would I even want to let you do that? But she's just like, okay, you have until five. Right. It's like, I don't want you in her life. I want you guys to have a bad breakup. Yeah, it's so Why stupid. would I want you to have an opportunity to smooth things over? Yeah. Like, it just no, it doesn't make any sense. But we needed this to happen in order for what, what happens later. But before we get into that, there's Phil. It's so stupid. It's the ex-husband because he left her for a girl a while ago and now he wants his wife back and then the stepdad kills him. I mean, that's all that it is. Yes. And it's not much, there is a cool moment where Gene, the stepfather, Terry O'Quinn, will talk to Carol about what happened that night when he talked to Phil. And he's lying to her about what happened to them. And then they end up having their first kiss. And all of this scene of him lying to her about what happened that night and them having their first kiss is intercut with the car Phil's car, he left Phil in the trunk of his own car, drove him to this junkyard, this car getting picked up and crushed. No blood anywhere, but fine, whatever. It all stays in the trunk. But I liked the idea of them having their first kiss. He's lying about Phil, intercut with Phil getting smashed. Well, I'm sure this movie would love to hear you say that because this movie thinks it is a genius when it comes to interlaying scenes together. It will do that It'll do several it a lot. times. It will. You're right. It is super proud of itself, uh -huh. and it thinks it is super clever. So it would love to hear you say that. Yeah. I love right after he kills he kills the ex-husband. Phil, yeah. He gets a phone call, and it's Carol. And she's like, hey, is he still there? And he's like, yeah. And she's just like, will you tell him to call me when oh, he gets yeah. to his, his hotel room? Hotel room? He goes, okay. He hangs up, and he turns to the dead body and says... <laughs> Carol wants you to call her. <laughs> that was pretty great. Like, there's just, there's moments of hilarity that, like, I'm just like, what's this doing here? <laughs> also, when he, right before he leaves the car to be crushed, he, he has kind of this insane moment where he's just kind of doing donuts in the car. It serves two purposes. It allows him to... Have fun, like let out, you know, loosen his say, neck tie it, and stuff like that. He has this like maniacal. He's having fun, fun, and he doesn't often get to have fun because everything I guess needs is, to be perfect. Is good character development, sure, but it's very strange. But also, he needs to beat this car up so it looks like it belongs in this junkyard. Well, I love when he gets out. He's like, "Should have bought American Phil," because <laughs> it breaks down while he's doing this. <laughs> it reminded me of Gremlins. Oh yes, uh huh. But yeah, then big time jump. To them announcing their engagement. From this first kiss to them having a party in their backyard and they're announcing their engagement. Like the next scene is that. Well, not quite because there is, there are some scenes here between him and the family. 
some scenes with him and Brandis where he is connecting with Brandis and Brandis is worried because he thinks that he's the reason his dad left again because he didn't do a jump for him yeah, at the uh, end there. And we didn't mention this, but O'Quinn does a lot of saying the same things that his therapist said to him yeah. to make himself sound like a therapist. So where he does tells your mind Brandis, take you? And, yeah, yeah. And he tells him everyone is entitled to their own feelings. Yes. He also says this has nothing to do with you. I thought, like, he he plays a very good dad. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he wants to do. Uh-huh. It's what he wants to be. It's just what he does to get that is pretty fucked. Yes. And what he says to Carol is, I'm not sorry he left because the truth is, is that I want you. And that is what leads to them getting engaged and yeah. having their engagement party. Yeah, this is the scene where they have their first kiss that we see on camera intercut with the car getting crushed. Yeah, and she is crumpling up trash. Uh-huh. Again, they are very proud of this. Yeah. And then cut to them announcing their engagement to everyone and Maddie being very concerned with it. We haven't been talking about the fashion of this movie. Oh, the shoulder pads. The fashion of this movie is so terrible. It's the 80s. No. It is the 80s. No. It is the 80s. You don't like to admit it. All you want to think about are the teenagers in the malls and their pinks and and mini skirts and shit and their floofy hair and their hoop earrings and (laughs) all this stuff that you define as the 80s. (laughs) But the reality is, for a lot of people... It was bad haircuts and giant shoulder pads. That was the 80s. Mustaches on the men, shoulder pads on the women. Pretty much every single one of Maddie's ensembles are the most hideous things I've ever seen. They're terrible. They are so bad. I don't know who looked at her and thought, that is what I want in my movie. Uh It's especially poor here at the engagement party, what she is wearing. And she's drinking a gigantic Miller Lite. (laughs) It's like, that thing is huge. But yes, this is when the chick is like, let's have sex. And he's like, I'm so not interested. Yeah. He's like, um, uh, because I think that's the sort of thing we should wait till marriage for. And then she sort of rejects him as a result of that. Yes, that upsets her. And this is, yeah, around the time that Maddie does her whole thing. You got to tell her, blah, blah, blah. Except that there's a moment here that I really like where he's by himself eating breakfast. He's eating rice cereal. Oh, yes. And he pours the milk into it. And then he leans down his ear to the bowl to hear the snap, crackle, and pop. And then he just gets this, just this impish grin on his face. He loves hearing this like, now. Is, it's part of his quite a breakfast of ritual. Weird character. So I'm saying Terry O'Quinn is great. <laughs> He's the best thing to happen to this movie. Yes, absolutely. When they do finally have sex, the music is so bad. Yes, it's, it's very really, dramatic. It's and very dramatic. Oh, she sees the scars on his chest and is way turned on by it. Anyway, he kills Maddie and makes it look like a. Yeah, he gets up in the middle of the night and is like, oh shit, I only had till five. I'm going to go kill Maddie. Strangles her, makes it look like a suicide, grabs one of the wine bottles that Maddie had already pointed out to Carol 
and said, oh, yeah, my family sent me a whole crate of these. It's great. And then as he's leaving, walking through somebody else's backyard, he's whistling the, a tune, Camp Town Races. <laughs> that, he w- that he taught... Yeah, but he's whistling. But he'd already been whistling that before and taught it to Jonathan Brandis. So you're going to start to see where this is going to go. And then somebody's like, who's there in his backyard? And he freaks out and he panics and runs. And you're like, oh, shit, somebody saw him. (laughs) Oh, my God. How is he going to get out of this? I'll tell you how. That man is blind. Yes, but he did hear him whistle which incriminates him. But for some reason, Brandis hasn't shared that, that whistling tune until... The wed- the day of the, the wedding. The day of the wedding. So she doesn't know, but she specifically catches on to that. And she's like, what kid would know Camp Town races? Yeah. He comes back that night, having left in the middle of the night, and which already upset her. But he shows back up with this bottle of wine And she's like, oh, that's nice. Oh, fancy. He explicitly shows her the label and everything. And she doesn't put these things together. Doesn't think about it the next day when her best friend winds up dead for no reason. Yes. Oh, yeah. My husband disappeared to who knows where. In the middle of the night. Or my fiance. Yeah. In the middle of the night. And then he comes back with a bottle of wine that I only ever saw two days ago that my best friend showed me. Like... What the fuck, lady? How stupid are you? Anyway. You might be thinking, well, her best friend just committed suicide. She probably doesn't want to get married right now. Mm. You'd be right, except that he convinces her to do so by by telling her, you what? You want to grieve? Or do you want to get married? And she's like, well... You're right. You're acting like nothing <laughs> happened. And he's like, well, your friend may have needed you, but I need you. She's just like, okay. Yeah, your friend may have needed you, but that's in the past because she's dead now. Right. I'm alive and I need you now. And for some reason, it's very important to me that we don't put off this wedding. Yes. And he does say I'd be willing to do like a... A smaller thing. Small yeah. justice of the peace marriage. And she's just like, nah, we'll do the... Church wedding. I guess church weddings were different back then. I guess they were easier to plan. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But it's very. It's all done very quickly. And again, Brandis does not whistle this song until this wedding day. Yes. So uh, she's getting ready and wearing a hideous, poofy-shouldered wedding gown. And if you've gotten married before, you might be wondering... How did they get their marriage license? He does not have an identity. Nope. And the identity he does have is of a dead person. Of a dead black man. <laughs> yes. So how does he get his marriage license? No idea. Nope. No clue. Just. They don't address it. Then again, how does he get his house? How does he. How yes. Does he, how does he get a bank account? How, how do does he. Like, I understand it's the 80s, but like the number of things therapist. that need to happen in order for him to just continue operating. 
is ridiculous. Which is upsetting because they addressed that in the first film. Yes. That's why he gets caught in his job. That's why he has to leave his job uh-huh. in the first one. Because he, they're like, uh, we tried to pay you. <laughs> and we couldn't. We kept asking you to bring in your social security card and you couldn't. And like, so that stuff kept happening in the first one. And in this movie, they just don't ever even bring it up. They're like, we're, how are we going to get around this fact in this movie? We're not, gonna. not going to. We're just not going to. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, they're they're getting married. She's getting ready on her own. It's just her and her son. I'd like to point out that they're getting nothing but air for presents. Oh, yeah. Everyone's bringing in presents that they could spin around on one finger in these giant boxes. <laughs> Kelsey, re- it really bothered her. Because I, it's something I teach my fucking students. Like, it's uh-huh. something that's so basic. Guys, I know it's weightless to you. Don't treat it like it's weightless. Right. Treat it like there's actually a gift in there. And then... Acting 101, people. <laughs> but yes, her dress is hideous. Not for the sleeves. I like the sleeves. I, I hate liked the, the collar. I hate the collar. The sleeves were hideous. She looked like a... I don't know, like a like a... Disney princess, but in the worst way. She looked like a Disney prince. You know how they were have those Prince Charming or whatever has those big poofy shoulders? Nope. Anyway. <laughs> but so she finally hears Brandis whistling, finally catches on to it. If you guys, every time a whistle comes up makes you think of M, I'm right there with you. Yep. It's not the same song. It's not the same song. That's the uh, Hall of the Mountain King. But interesting that they use a whistle. I'm always, you know, it always makes me think of M, so I'm always kind of like, I don't know. It's not a ripoff. No, absolutely not. I don't know. Because the whistle was done. It's been done. The whistle is a threat in M, like it's supposed to induce dread in the audience. Mm -hmm. It's not, that's not what this is about here. It's him just being absent-minded and happy. Okay. But yeah, so she confronts him. And they get into a fight. She finally has some fucking bite to her. Yes. Finally gets some backbone in her. But I wrote down that the fight at the wedding is funny. I don't know if it's meant to be or not, but them bringing their fight into the reception hall where the cake is, knocking the cake over. And no one is hearing this. Yes. this And this church is huge. Yes. Well, I mean, but yes. And... All the presents and everything getting knocked over in the smash. It, it, it seems like it's supposed to be comedic. I don't think it is, but it just it came off that Like it way. should have been slapstick, but it wasn't. Or the other way around. It shouldn't have been slapstick, and it was. Mm. It felt very slapsticky, and the, the two of them struggle together. They're grabbing onto each other, and they're spinning around as the cake topper, from when they knock the cake over, starts tumbling to the ground in I slow motion. I was like, and oh, they are so another, proud of this. Another intercutting God, right so there. they're so proud right now. Yep, and while they're struggling on the ground, and he is strangling her, Brandis comes in and stabs him, right? Or hits him over the head with something. I can't remember. So she stabs him with the with the cake knife. Yes, Brandis. You think that him, would be funny? <laughs> but Brandis stabs him with the back of a hammer. Oh yeah, with the claw of the hammer. That's right. Yes, and so they walk into the. Oh, this part is dumb. The actual ceremony space, and the music starts because she walks in at the I end. Kind of, of the- I kind of like that. Yeah. Here comes the bride it's while she so walks lame. bloody down the aisle. It was so predictable. It's a little lame. I knew it was coming as yes, soon as totally. he was. Ugh. Totally. And that's fine. 
meanwhile, he's not dead yet. No. He picks up the head of the bride from the cake topper and says, till death. And then, and then dies. credits. Yes. So, I mean, yes, everyone freaked out when they see her all covered in blood and everything like that. But yes, he's alone in the reception hall, says till death, passes out, credits. That's the end of Stepfather 2. Lightning round. We skipped over the part where he's just like, why is this so hard? I even had sex with you. Oh, yeah. When he first gets into a fight with her. a better family man than me in this I lifetime. even had sex with you. Yeah. Like, like whoa, buddy. Yeah. But it's just, it's a very, it's a different character than what we met in the first one. Which I guess. Yeah, it's a little weird. What can you do? I wrote this note partway through, somewhere between the engagement announcement and the wedding. It just seems to be going through the paces. Yes. They know he needs to pretend to be normal. And they know he needs to find a family without a father so he can insert himself in that. And they know that he needs to kill people along the way. And they know that there needs to be a climax at the end where they finally find out and he attacks them and then they kill him. They know it needs all those plot beats and it's just like they're going through the motions to get to each of them. There's nothing really unique or novel about any step along the way. And that was a little bit frustrating after how much we liked the original. The original had actually an 88 Rotten Tomatoes at the time and we each gave it an 80. We thought it was actually a little overrated at 88, but still 80. Like, it's great, you know? Mm-hmm. What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Out of five reviews, if that tells you anything about how big this movie was, had five reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. What percentage of those five thought it was good? So it needs to be 0, 20, 40, 60, 80, or 100. 20. Zero. There you go. It doesn't even have a consensus statement. Okay. Now, like I said, the original had an 88. We each gave it an 80. The remake had an 11. You gave it a 60. I gave it a 64. What do you think this movie has? This one I will give a 30. Uh, I mean, I'll go higher than that, I think, just because it's there's, there's not so much that's really like offensively bad about it. I think it's offensive it's because boring. of how good the first one was. Yeah. This one is just offensive because it's just like, we don't really care. We just wanted money. And that sucks. I'll take it a step down. Like, because we went from the 80s to the 60s. I'll take this one down to the 40. I'll give it a 40. It's not good. No. And, but there are moments that made me laugh. Yeah. I mean, the zero isn't really indicative of the quality. No. And unfortunately, there's no Metacritic or CinemaScore or other such rating to go by. But none of the people who reviewed it walked away with a positive impression of the movie, and neither did we. No. So, it's a bit of a bummer. There's a lot of potential in this franchise after the first one. But I guess, what do you do from here? Yeah, what do you do? It it should have just been the one movie and done. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that is 1989's Stepfather 2, Make Room for Daddy. Moving on to our next movie, Insidious Chapter 2, from 2013. Directed by James Wan, written by Lee Winnell, story by James Wan and Lee Winnell, based on characters by Lee Winnell, starring Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, Barbara Hershey, Lynn Shea, Ty Simpkins, Steve Coulter, Lee Winnell, and (laughs) Angus Simpson. What is Insidious Chapter 2 about? The Lambert family story continues. 
right where it left off, which is fantastic. Great. Picks you love up, it when a sequel does that. Yeah. Picks up right where the last one stopped. And just it ends that story. It tells you what happens to the family after they get their son back. Yeah. It is available to rent for $4 on most services and buy for $13. Should people watch Insidious Chapter 2? If you've seen the first one, yes. Yes. Do not see this without seeing the first one. Absolutely not. It's not a series that you can watch out of order. I was, I remember the first time I saw it, and still to this day, very impressed with how skillfully they interwove this story with the first. They did a great, even even still by introducing new characters and having a major character killed off in the first one, they still managed to interweave these stories so fucking well. Did not think they could. After seeing the first one, and I know, guys, I know I didn't have a lot of, like, I know I didn't sing its praises when we talked about it, but when I saw this in theaters, Mm -hmm. knocked my socks off. So when I heard they were doing a sequel, I was like, fuck that shit, they're going to ruin it. Yes. And in my opinion, this is maybe slightly better than the first and it's right up there at the very least enhances the first yes absolutely these two would do great as like a double feature watch two horror movies in the same night watch them back to back they go really really well together and like the lipstick face demon isn't even in this movie which is a benefit that is a good yes but there was another demon from well i guess not demon but ghost from the first movie that didn't get any resolution. It ended on a cliffhanger with that one. And now this movie's going to tell the rest of the story on that. But the story of how the Lambert family is dealing with this possession, the son being possessed by the lipstick face demon is what allows this other ghost in to this story here. And that was told in the original movie. And now we're, now we're getting to see it play out in this one. It's great. And Patrick Wilson as Josh fucking fantastic so good i so so good love him in this movie and he gets to play a creepy, creepy and a good character yes he gets to do he gets both. to do both in this and movie it's and it's wonderful oh it's so good you just love patrick wilson you yeah. just do which is why i really still don't want to see aquaman <laughs> just don't want to see it see him with his long blonde hair pulled back uh anyway and, and it does some cool things with the original, too, like moments that are a little bit unexplained in the original get re-explained in this one and with the co- with with added context. And yeah, it's just it's everything you liked about the first one. Again, this is this is not just going through the motions like Stepfather was. This is it has that same spark. It has that same energy, passion behind it. Same filmmakers. And this movie gets away with all of its plot holes because you and I cannot explain the further. Yes. We have zero understanding of it, so it gets to th- so the movie gets to do whatever it wants with it. Yep. And I'm okay I'm with okay that. I'm okay with that. I'm not sitting here thinking that's stupid. This doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's not like a physical space. I don't space. understand the further. It's not a physical space in the way that the world is where you expect... That, you know, these two places that are separated by thousands of miles or hundreds of miles or whatever, and time, they can be right next to each other because it reacts to you, I think, is how that works. And later on, Dalton's going to fall asleep in two seconds in a very tense moment. 
You might be wondering how he's doing that. He's just getting better at tapping into his ability to astral project. And he only thinks it's just him going to sleep. But what he's actually doing is he's exercising his ability to astral project. And that's really cool. And like, I, I really like this movie. I think you, I think you should watch it. If you like the first one, you should watch this one. They go great together. But again, do not watch this alone. And then watch the first one. Yes. Not, not in that order. This is not a nightmare on Elm street that you might be able to get away with that. Mm-mm. It's not a Friday the 13th. Mm-mm. They are very closely related and one follows from the other. And you, not only would you be ruining the first one for yourself, it also, it just, it's not as, I know this sounds silly, it's not as magical Yes, as if, if, if you watch it without the uh-huh. first one. You get some nice aha moments out of this movie. Anyway, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2013's Insidious Chapter 2. Close your eyes. On Friday the 13th. Oh my God. There's somebody in this house. Who are you? Don't move. Don't run. Don't breathe. There's someone standing in front of you. When Josh went into that other world, something else came back. Please don't make me do it. Get out of my head! Insidious Chapter 2, rated PG-13, opens Friday the 13th. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Insidious Chapter 2 begin? With the 1986 Lambert residence. Yeah. Where a young Elise helps a young Lorraine with her young son. Josh. Josh. Now, what's interesting about this is they keep the voice for... Lynn Shay. Lynn Shay, but not the voice for Barbara Hershey. Right. I thought that was odd. Well, I think it's it's more because... Lynn Shay has a very specific voice, and they didn't want to have to find somebody that, you know, had to sound kind of like her or would sound too different. And I don't think Barbara Hershey has that same issue. Like, I, I could hear Barbara Hershey and identify it as a Barbara Hershey, but she doesn't have a Lynn Shay sort of very specific voice. And the actress they got, I thought, did a very good job. Yeah. Or, or Lynn Shay did a good job. Yeah, uh, either ADR one. And afterwards. Either they did Lynn Shay's voice first and she did a great job of matching it, or yeah. she acted it out first and Lynn Shay did a fantastic job of dubbing it. Right. And it's not like you can't tell because it's very obvious that that's Lynn Shay's voice and not this woman's voice. But it's not because the syncing or the acting, either voice or physical, wasn't good. It was. Yeah. And the actress that plays the young Lorraine is Jocelyn Donahue. Kelsey, where do we know Jocelyn Donahue from? The House of the Devil, and not nearly enough people have listened to that I know. Episode. House of the Devil is such a good movie. It is a great movie. And Dr. Sleep. Yes, she is. She plays Abra's mom in Dr. Sleep. Yes. We pointed that out when we watched that one, too. But so we get to hear the backstory, which we kind of heard in the first film. Yeah, what we find out is that Lorraine first went to this guy named Carl. A priest. And Carl was like, no, this is outside of what I can handle. There's this weirdo lady that I know. Her name is Elise. I'm bringing her in. And that's how Lorraine and, and Elise first met. We're seeing them meet for the very first time. Yes, 
So Josh is complaining about this woman in black who is following him, which was the same story we heard in the original film. And so she is interviewing Josh, and he explains that she visits him in his dreams, just like we get in the original film. Uh-huh. But what I didn't like was that suddenly in this version, he needs to be surrounded by candles oh, when yeah, reaching uh-huh. out, and that was not in the first right, film. Right, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's going to kind of be the bar here. I mean, this movie, why we like it so much is because it enhances the first film and it does a leg up almost. Yeah. So anytime there's any kind of glitch or difference, that's going to be a big breaker for it us. It stands out. Yeah. It stands mm-hmm. out a lot because of how well this movie did to connect itself to the first one. According to James Wan, he learned a lot from the first Insidious that he took into The Conjuring. And then he learned a lot from The Conjuring that he took into this. Hmm. So this, he says, is a little bit more grounded than the first Insidious is. Like, you know, they don't have the lipstick face demon with all yeah. the puppets and tiptoe through the tulips and sharpening his claw hands. And like, I, that's not what's in this movie. Exactly. And this is, and that this is a good thing. Because yeah. that was definitely a detriment to the first one. It, it was a little bit silly in the first one. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Was it shocking and scary the first time you saw it in yes. theaters? Yes. But then on second viewing, it becomes, like you say, silly. Uh-huh. But this doesn't have that. Yeah. And the villain here is still chilling. Because it is... Something that could really happen. Yeah, and we should probably mention, because it's going to come up a little bit later, that the movie does the thing where it's like, ooh, the scary, crazy trans. Like, that's the villain, which is unfortunate. But again, it does the same thing that... All the movies do that try to get away with it, like Silence of the Lambs and Sleepaway Camp, where Sleep it's Away like, Camp. yeah, uh-huh. it's much it is, more similar to Sleepaway Camp. It is yeah. forced upon them. Uh-huh. These people are not trans naturally. They are forced to be trans. Right. And so for me, it is not against trans people. But this I is but not I totally LGBT. But I get, and we we mentioned this before, I get why people would be concerned that it does sort of cast trans people in a negative light. So you need to be aware of that going in if you're if you're sensitive to that sort of thing. Yes, absolutely. If movies like Sleepaway Camp upset you, you you're not going to like this. No. I'd say there's one moment in particular that's maybe a little much and it's a line that somebody says, it's a revelation that occurs, but for the most part the movie tries to just kind of make that a twist and not so much like a scary thing. I'll get to it when we get there. But so Lin Shay wants to confront this spirit. So they play a game of hot and cold because Josh is too afraid to say out loud where she is. So, you know, it's a way to scare the audience. Yeah. And she's looking around for this ghost and she finds it. But far more interesting than that, it, it, she ends up getting scratched by this ghost. Yeah. But what's far more interesting is what's going on with Josh. In this moment. Yeah. Josh will stand up out of absolutely nowhere, and he will say, I'll show you. And then he goes and points at a door, and that is when Lorraine says, get this out of my son. Do whatever you have to. Make him forget. Yeah. And so And Lin it, Shea, the door opens, too, on yes. its own, yeah. And Lin Shay will take away his gift. 
Yes, this is when she represses his ability to astral project, which is what Dalton inherits in the original movie. Yes. Then we get a time jump to today, where Renee is being interviewed by the cops because Lynn Shay's character died in the first film uh -huh. under very suspicious circumstances. And of course, they're not buying any of this supernatural shit. And she kind of tries to say that she doesn't buy it either. She's just like, I don't care what happened. I don't care what it was. The point is my son is back. Yeah. So I don't care if it was real or not. It worked. I think she does fully believe in it. She just knows that this cop she isn't going to believe She it. doesn't feel it's necessary to justify her belief. Yes. Fact of the matter is, my son is better now because of what Elise did. But still, Elise is dead. And the question is, who did it? And of course, it seems to be the husband. Yes. And what the cop tells her is, we're going to get forensics to look into the strangle marks. And if it matches your husband's hands, then your husband's fucked. Yeah, mm-hmm. But that's all they know for now. They've got to wait for forensics to get back to them. Yeah. And so, of course, poor Renee doesn't want to believe that it was her husband. And she saw the picture. Now, we wondered. We wondered how they were going to get away with that. Yeah. Because the picture exists. How on earth does she not know that her husband has been taken over by the Black Bride? Keeping in mind that how the last one ended is... Lin Shay took a picture of Josh, and he freaked out and attacked her, and we found out that what was in that picture, what Renee saw, was a picture of the Black Bride. But somehow, he's able to convince her it wasn't him. I don't know yeah, how. Yeah, no, he wasn't there. Well, because he's not in the photograph. The story is, yeah, she was there, and she killed Lin Shay, but I didn't have anything to do with it. Right. And they don't have anybody who can explain, no, they would need to use a vessel. <laughs> Yeah, things are very scary for poor Renee, but yes. she doesn't know what to do. Uh huh. So she just accepts that it wasn't her husband. And they go and they move in with Lorraine. Yes. And it's the same kids, which I liked. Yep. Ty Simpkins uh, in particular playing Dalton. And she is, you know, just trying to get her life together, but the piano starts playing by itself. Yeah. And she somehow doesn't pick up right away what that song is. Yeah, but she hears a piano, and, well, that's the thing, is they make a joke about it later. It's played poorly. And um, she hears the piano. She goes in, doesn't see anything in the piano room, but notices that the radio is on. So she just writes it off as a song was being played on the radio. But she does end up shutting the piano keys. Yeah. Because she thinks she's... She's convinced that it has followed them again. Yes. And it's going to be Josh's responsibility as, you know, the same role he took on in the first one. I moved houses for you. Uh, where Josh is of the opinion in this moment that, listen, there's nothing they can do about it at this point. The ghosts don't have any actual power over you as long as you stop being scared of them. So... Let's all just pretend that there are no ghosts here so I don't freak my wife out. But he ignores the fact, and they never bring it up again. Well, they kind of do. The baby Knowing keeps, what we know later. The baby keeps getting taken and then just randomly is okay again. 
And that was probably the most frustrating thing. Like, I was like, who's taking the baby? Who's harming the baby? We know who's taking the baby. Who? His mom. We don't see that. Yes, we do. Later on, she physically picks the baby up and then closes the door on Renee. Oh. Well, I don't know why. I guess just to fuck with Renee? No, the... So... There are going to be multiple spirits here, and one of them is the Black Bride's mother. And she is attracted to a young baby girl being in the house. Mm. That's what she's always wanted, was a daughter. That's true. And so she has her own agenda. Yes. But we do. Like, the baby will be on the floor, and it's just like... And Josh is like, she crawled out of the crib. It happens. <laughs> and I love Renee's response of, what? <laughs> yeah. Because exactly, what are you talking about? And then, like, at one point, the baby will be gone, and then the baby will be back. Yeah. Uh-huh. It just kind of, okay. We'll find out later that Josh is a, doing a little bit of gaslighting of his wife. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wants to make his wife think that she's crazy when, in fact, she is not. Yeah. Meanwhile, Spex and Tucker are looking into Lin Shay's house, and they notice that the reading room is open and beckoning to them. Uh huh. And there's a fun, you know, the relationship between Spex and Tucker it continues on here. What is the thing they do, Ninja Bear? Hunter Ninja Bear. Something Ninja Bear. Hunter Bear Ninja. I don't. So know. like the hunter kills the bear, the bear kills the ninja, the ninja kills the hunter. It's rock paper scissors. Yeah. Uh huh. But I think ninja wins over bear. No, bear wins over ninja. (laughs) They do poses. Yes. And and Tucker is upset. He's like, I think a ninja could kill a bear. (laughs) (laughs) But so they find the tape of Josh. We don't really ever get confirmation on who is leading them to this. Because later, when Carl is involved, Carl points out that they are not being led by Lin Shay. But I suppose it is Lin Shay here. Yes. Yeah, okay. I think it is Lin Shay here. But they put it on, and of course, Tucker is like amateur framing. Yeah. It's a weird thing in the very beginning when they're filming this, what we were talking about with Josh as a kid. I wrote down, why would you try to simulate a camcorder? Why not just use a camcorder and show us that? And when they're simulating it, and it's got like the record symbol and everything like that, it looks like really crisp. None of the UI looks like the UI would actually look. And I was a little bit turned off by this. But then when Tucker and Specs are watching the tape back, it's like it was actually recorded to VHS and they're watching it on tape. So it's like, what? Okay, it looks good. This is what I was looking for. But why wasn't this what we saw earlier in the film too? <laughs> stupid, stupid UI thing that I have, but whatever. <laughs> but so they watch that video and they notice something. Yes, they well when Josh gets up and says I'll show you. They're like who's Tucker he talking to? Looks at the picture and is like is that Josh? And it's the Josh that he knows, the, uh, the adult, adult Josh. Josh. So that's a very cool little scene. But during this time Barbara Hershey, who has fallen asleep to Carnival of Souls, yep, yep. which is another great movie that nobody wants to listen to that that episode. <laughs> it's a good movie. She goes in to check on Dalton, and Dalton tells her, someone is standing behind you. Yeah. And it's very well done. Very creepy. 
And she doesn't see anybody, but we see a lady walking around. Yeah, this is the mother. And she is definitely a creepy lady. Yeah. For sure. She's all very, like, black and white. Uh-huh. Very white skin and dark makeup and black hair. And yeah. a white dress. And she, Barbara Hershey, finally sees her and starts to freak out. And this is when Josh tells her, stop this. You're going to freak out my wife. Yeah. And kind of scares Lorraine a little bit. And that's why Lorraine decides to go to Carl. Yeah. And that's when Carl will be brought back into the story. But also Dalton, we see from Dalton's perspective, he overhears his father talking to someone saying, you have to leave. Yeah. It's almost like he's talking to himself. And then it's a, it's a very tense moment where you're worried that Josh might find Dalton, but you don't know what's going on with Josh yet. So... It's it's an interesting thing that the movie does. It makes you scared of Josh without really fully knowing why yet. Well, I mean, the first one pretty much told you it's the Black Bride. Yeah, but I what's mean, going on there? Is he he's having a conversation with the Black Bride? Is kind of like where your mind's going. That's not what's happening. Not at all. Yeah, so like that's one of the fun things I like about this movie. It's hard to remember if I knew... I can't remember what I was thinking the first time I saw this. Yeah. What we'll find out later is that it's the Black Bride. Josh is totally not there at all. It is just the Black Bride talking to his mother. His mother. Yeah. Also, guys, just a fun little note here. When we're looking at Specs and Tucker, they've got a picture. And in that picture, James Wan is sitting with them. Yeah, it's in their background on their computer. And it's like a young Lee Winnell and Angus Simpson and James Wan. Is it? Is yeah. it when they were younger? Like, I think it's from when they were younger, yeah. That's cute. Mm -hmm. That's really cute. I like that. Or, or it's just simulated. I don't know. But that's what it looks like. It's an actual photo. But Renee is given some excellent news. She is told the hand markings do not match her husband's. And she is extremely relieved and even tells the detective. Thank you, detective. Uh, I really needed to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. It's like, well, keep it to yourself, Renee. All right? <laughs> they don't need to know that you also suspected him. Yeah. But he does tell her that doesn't get him off the hook. But that's the end of the police officer storyline. It just does not come back. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't. Which is a little bit of a bummer, but they, I guess they needed to address the fact that there would be a police investigation. Oh, absolutely, yeah. they do. But so, yeah, the, bri the bride's mom keeps attacking the baby, and we get, like, this don't you dare thing, and she ends up slapping the shit out of Renee. Kelly! Yeah, there's a cool moment where the camera is following Renee and we see the mom. Yeah, we see it's, you know, it's the same thing he did in the first Insidious. It's the same thing he did in The Conjuring. And you know what? It works. It works. It works every fucking He's time. He's very good at that. He is excellent at putting them in weird little spots on the screen that if you're paying attention, you are rewarded. And uh -huh. if you're not, it doesn't affect the story at all. Exactly, yeah. And like I said, he may do it every time. It works every time. Uh -huh. And it's exciting when you catch it. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh, oh. Yes. <laughs> but so 
it, Renee's just knocked out from this slap. Yeah. I guess because she's got some ghostly abilities. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know. She gets knocked out. She gets she falls on a table and breaks the table. <laughs> Meanwhile, like we said, Barbara Hershey has contacted Carl. And Carl uses his dice to talk to people. It is not the most effective way to nope. do it. And it's very contrived. They just needed a new way of talking to the dead because they had Elise's gas mask thing. But so at this point, are they not talking to Elise? Are They're they not. now talking to the mother? They're talking to the mother now, yeah. So the mother slapped the shit out of Renee and then hightailed it over to... I suppose, or again, things or it work is, differently in the further. That is yeah, true. They've uh-huh. shown us that. And she, uh, when we when we get to see Elise again, she's very surprised that Carl's even there. So I think she's just interacting with Specs and Tucker That's, at this point, and not with Carl at all. That's got to be the truth. You've got to be right about that. But so he is told, Carl is told, she killed me, she's hiding at the Lady of Angels, and that's where Barbara Hershey used to work. She's a nurse. Yeah, Our Lady of the Angels Hospital. So we go there to hear that backstory. So what happened at the hospital? So first of all, this man named Parker Crane shows up, and this is why I was like, uh, mm, shows up at the hospital because he tried to castrate himself. He has gone crazy over decades of abuse from his mother, who tried to force him to be her daughter, and it drove him to kill. No, she wanted him to kill. Yes. Yeah. But we don't really get any explanation of that, but she, the mother- The mother was already crazy. It's very sleepaway camp. Mm-hmm. And that's probably also why he felt the need to castrate himself. This wasn't like- as far as we know, it's not some sort of personal validation thing, but right. he's, but he's, you know, nuts. It's just like he is trying to please his mother, and that's all that this is about. Yes. But he's an old man at this point, and he's already killed dozens of people. But Lot nobody knows this yet. And he seems to be catatonic, and Lorraine brought Josh to the hospital where... He wanders in and gets really close to a catatonic old man. Yeah, I'm I mean, like, they're there. What kid would do that? Everyone's totally fine. He's just looking at the equipment beeping and everything like that. And then he gets grabbed by Parker, who wakes up. Everyone's like, oh, holy shit. And then, Why Josh, Parker are you okay? grabs onto this kid. We don't really know. Just well, he's there, I guess. We do get the indication that the Black Bride envies the child's youth. And that's why. Wants to be young again, and it's a young boy. This is why I'm, you know, I'm thinking it reinforces the idea that, again, totally, totally understand if people do not like this, and I get why. But Parker very, very explicitly seeks out and tries to take the body of a young boy because that's what he's always wanted and never had the opportunity to be. Yes. Is a young, happy boy. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I don't think that Parker is trans. He really only dresses up when he kills. And when his mother forces him to. Exactly. So anyway, as they're exploring this crazy, spooky, condemned hospital, which is, again, it's a real hospital that's used in movies all the time, where they shut down like half of the hospital. I don't remember if it's the same one from Ghosty Bros, mm-hmm. but it may be. It's one of those things Green where- Grave Encounters? Yeah, I call it Ghosty Bros. Well, that's because that's what I called the original <laughs> TV the show. show. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, 
Which I thought was the actual name of the show for a long time. It's like, you know, Ghosty Bros. And people would be like, what? <laughs> anyway. Uh, I don't know if it's the same hospital or not, but the point is it's it's an actual real hospital that is used for filming a lot. And she's in the elevator and she sees Parker in the elevator and she's like, Parker, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be up. And he doesn't respond to her. And then they get out of the elevator and he goes down a hallway. It's like, that's she's like, that's weird. And she goes to the receptionist. Hey, what's the patient from X room doing up and out of bed? He's supposed to be resting. And the receptionist lady's like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I know. I just saw him in the elevator. And she's like, that's not possible. He's been dead for 40 years. No. No. He had died that morning or that Killed night. Himself. He threw himself out of an open window. So it couldn't have been him. And Lorraine's like, it absolutely was him. <laughs> so that's the transition of Parker, the Black Bride, from, you know, living serial killer to ghost. That is now attached to Lorraine and her son. Meanwhile, Josh, who is, of course, the real, really the Black Bride, his teeth are falling out. And yeah. it is suggested that his dead flesh is killing, I mean, his, his dead soul is killing the living flesh. That's what the mom says. That's what the mom says. I don't know if that's what's actually happening, but she said she also tells him you can stay alive if you kill the rest of the family, which just doesn't seem like it would be true. So I guess the indication is just that the the mother is just crazy and just wants her son to kill, kill, kill. But so is it true that a ghost cannot take over a life, a living body for too long? At least not for too long. Yeah. Before it starts to. Decay. decay we don't know what the ultimate end would be if they would die because of it or if they would just be this weird monstrous thing we but never so get the chance to see there's all these questions and like i just think that there's so many interesting things that they could have gone down the rabbit hole with agree is fatherhood parenthood i guess because motherhood is really important in both of these movies as well is parenthood like the main theme of insidious because we see we've seen Insidious three, and it's you know the single father and his daughter. We never saw the last key, so I have no, no idea, idea if that maintains that theme. Anyway, don't know. Well, we are watching it for Father's Day. Next Father's Day. This Father's Day. No, I mean the the third one. Oh, maybe. Yeah. But so of course, so Renee goes to Josh, and she's just like, Josh, we have to get out of here. He tells her, you know, it won't work. They'll just keep following us. She says, well, it's like we're already dead. And he's just like, no, it's not. You do I, not say that. You have no idea what it's like. I've been there. I know what it's like. And you should be thankful that you're not. Uh-huh. And Renee's just like, you're acting really weird, Josh. You are not yeah. acting like yourself. Is this also the scene where they hear the piano again? Yes. He almost calms her down. Saying, telling her that they have no power over you. Yeah, you just need to not be scared of them and you'll be fine. And that's right when the piano starts playing. It's not the we house. You know that we've been through this before. They will follow us. You have to just not be afraid. You have to relax. You have... I can't relax. There's ghosts everywhere. It's like we're already dead. No, it's not. No, it's not. This is nothing like being dead. I know. I have seen it. I've seen where these things exist. They want what you have, life, but they have no power over you. All you have to do is ignore them and they will go away. 
and we find out that it's the song that Renee was writing or had written for Josh. For Josh in and the Josh first movie. Doesn't know it. He doesn't recognize it. And she's a little bit surprised. And he's like, that's not the point. The point is, you know, etc. What are you doing? That's the song that's been playing. What song? What are you talking about? You don't know that song? No, I don't. That's my song. The song I wrote for you. Well, it's not the song that we should be worried about. There's somebody in this house. But... But she's finally figuring it out. Yeah, she storms off and he's there. And, and later on, we'll get a scene where he's just talking to the piano. And he's like, get the fuck out of here. Leave us alone. You, you think can't have reach him. Her, but you yeah, won't. Exactly. And then he leaves. And then the scene snaps. And we get like a further version of the room. And there's Josh. Screaming. Screaming. And it's great. It was such a good reveal. It was an excellent reveal. I will. I do not think I had any idea. The first he, time we saw it? Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, they decide to go to the home of... Yeah, Parker's home. Yeah. And when they get there, Carl says... He has this look on his face and they're like, what? And he says, let's just say this is not a house where a lot of good things have happened. Yeah. Uh -huh. Let's just say that this house is not a place where many good things have happened. And then they find Parker's room and it's Bex and Tucker do. And Specs is like, I don't know, it's a little girly for a kid, for a boy's room. And Tucker's like, why? What's girly about it? Uh, and he goes, well, there's, there's a, a dollhouse. dollhouse. <laughs> and Tucker goes, what's wrong with a dollhouse? Exactly, yeah. This is a Rhode Island red. <laughs> there is a whole world yeah. for these people. Uh -huh. There's a whole world for everything. If you think that there is a, not a niche for something, there is. There definitely is. And I happen to love dolls' houses, so I totally get it. <laughs> but then they see... A little girl who tells them... Gotta get out of here before my mom makes me kill you. If she sees you, she'll make me kill you. So they get the fuck out of that room. Uh -huh. At the same time, Dalton wakes up to what he thinks is his brother talking to him through cans. But it is not her, his brother. It is not Foster. It is instead the young, victims yeah, uh -huh. of the Black Bride. Yeah. Now, why... They would reach out in this way. I mean, I guess the implication is once you're in the further, you don't exactly have the best ways of communicating with the living. Yeah. But and all these sorts of places are connected through things other than physical space as we know it. But and so there's obviously like a connection to the Black Bride and the Black Bride is there in that house. And they're trying to reach out to the only person who has a connection to the further and that's Dalton. Right. But it definitely works for the movie to yes. be scary. Totally. They needed a freaky moment right now. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Absolutely. But why they would be so terrifying to a kid that they want to help them, I don't know. Yeah. But again, again, we don't live in the further. We don't know yeah. how these people are able to communicate. Back at the house. Parker's house. Parker's house. They figure out that it was not 
Elise talking to them yeah. because... Oh, how do they do it? Because in the dice, it spells Mater Mortis. But also because they, she undoes the, chandelier the screws tries on the chandelier, to, yeah, uh-huh. which is pointless. Yeah. That doesn't hurt anybody. Right. I was like, well, I mean, even if it did hit her, would it really kill her? It, I mean, but it gives away that she is not a good spirit. Yeah. They are in danger here. And yes, Mater Mortis means, according to Carl, literally... Mother of death, it's Parker's mom. Yes. And this is when they come upon all of the victims. Yeah, behind a bookshelf, which is a really cool thing. I think it's Tucker or one of the two of them sets the camera down and then they move the bookshelf. And so we get to see into the blackness of this room behind the bookshelf before anyone else gets to see it. And it puts you as the audience member in this really uncomfortable situation that nobody else is. And everyone is oblivious to what you know, which is nothing. It's a very interesting sort of scenario that 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 method of setting up the shots puts you in as the audience. James Wan is extremely talented. He's very talented. Very good at what he does. We should see Aquaman. <laughs> Don't want to. <laughs> did he do all any of the other Saw movies? He just he did the first, did the first one, one, I think. I think that's why he did this one, is because he wasn't involved as much in the Saw sequels. And he's like, no, I want to tell this story to its completion. And that's why he did just these two. <laughs> <laughs> But so, yeah, they come to the conclusion that Parker wanted his childhood back here, which is why he went after Josh. Yes. So they decide that they're going to try to reach out to the real Josh, but also Carl is going to go after the fake Josh. Yes. Bride and black. So they, they basically need to knock out physical Josh whose body is being inhabited by the Black Bride, in order to then reach out to the real Josh and allow him to take his body back. Yes. I love how he convinces Josh to let him in. I need closure on Elise's death. On Elise's death, death. yeah. uh And Josh is just like, "Uh uh-huh. He's not feeling well either. He's in his robe and he looks sick. Because he's dying. Yeah. uh He's killing this body that he's inhabiting. But he offers him a... Glass of water. Oh, right. He uses the excuse to go and get the water. To get the knife. To get the knife. Yeah. The, oh, he's also wired, we should say, Carl is. And Tucker and Specs are in the van. And they give him a, a secret safe word. Yeah, and it's so great because he even says, you'll know if I need you. But they give him the word of quesadilla. Which he says. Well, he says. Way as after they figured they, out that he needs yeah, their help. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. They argue over unicorn or whatever. I think it's unicorn, which Specs came up with unicorn. Tucker came up with quesadilla. And they're arguing about how natural it would be to say one or the other. And Carl's like, look, guys, you'll know if I need you. (laughs) The point where they should have known is when he says to Josh, when Josh comes back in and Carl has uncapped the syringe with the sedative in it. And Josh is like, what are you doing there? He's like, oh, nothing. Just playing with my dice or whatever. And he asked Josh, what have you got behind your back? I was like, Tucker, Specs, that's your signal. I think that's when they went. No, they don't start until they start getting into a fight. And there's a physical altercation. They freak out. And then Josh is choking Carl. Carl's like, quesadilla, quesadilla. (laughs) It's pretty good. And so there's this big fight between Josh and these three men. And he ends up knocking out while strangling 
seemingly to death Carl, knocking out Specs and sedating Tucker. Yeah, Tucker is able to get him with the stun gun, but Josh already had the injection in his hand, so yeah, he gets uh-huh. him with that. But yeah, Josh, I mean, the actor, Patrick Wilson. Yeah. He is very creepy in this scene. The, well, the whole movie is just a huge opportunity for Patrick Wilson as an actor to just, like, have fun. You know, he gets to be good guy Josh, and he gets to be bad guy Josh, and I think he does a great job at both of them. Yeah, he does an excellent job. I love Patrick Wilson. Yeah. I, I think he's great. But yeah, in this role, in this moment, he's very creepy. Yeah. And then we get real Josh, his spirit, helping up Carl. I guess it's, I it's don't like, have to ask where I am. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> guess I died. <laughs> But he says the line that Lynn Shea says in the first film, into the further we go. Uh-huh. Because he's telling him, we've got to go, we got to find Elise. Yes. She's probably the only one who can help us. Now, this is probably the worst part of the film for me here. Oh, uh, I disagree. The This is where everything starts dude, to, like, come together. The random dude standing in front of him saying, he's got your baby, is the worst part of the film for me. Who is this person? Nobody. Why there are a lot of here? nobodies in the no further. Reason. There are a lot of nobodies in the further. Why is he telling him Patrick? Why is he telling Patrick Wilson this guy's got his baby? Don't know. It's just to be creepy. And I remember very specifically they used that in the trailer. It's a trailer yeah, shot. Yes, you're right. But the point is, is they need to get him to the previous house from the first movie. I get that. Because what they're going to do is they're going to explain all the weird shit we didn't that we didn't know why it happened in the first movie. It as spirit version of Josh in this movie is causing that to happen. He needs to save his daughter from that weird, creepy slick back hair ghost from the first movie. That's why the door opens on its own and the alarm goes off and all that stuff happens. And so he gets into a fight with that guy. We get to see that whole segment from the first movie from a different perspective, which I really, really enjoyed. I loved that part. And then we get to go further back into Josh's old childhood home. And this is when he talks to the young version of himself. And that's when the young version says, I'll show you because they need to find Elise. And he points to the door. Uh, They have found, no, they found Elise by this point. And they're trying to get back or something like that. He has to show, that's way later. He has to show him where... The bride in black lives. Yeah, this whole part. That's is what I'm way saying because this. because Elise is already with him by that point. They F- Elise tells him what he has to do. Well, because there's that moment where Elise goes. So that's what that was about. Yes. Yeah, so that's what that was all. Yeah. About. But at this in this moment, I think they find. Did they find Elise? Where do they find her? Is she in that house? I don't remember where Elise they find her. Elise comes in and banishes the weird demon guy oh, that was yes. going after the baby. Yes, that's it. And she says hi to everyone and is like, Carl, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be here. Yeah, you're not supposed to be dead yet. I came back because I could hear you calling for me. Yeah. She says to Josh, which makes me wonder, was she the one talking to Specs and Tucker? Or was anybody? Were Specs and Tucker just doing their own shit? But yeah, so that's what that was about. So yeah, these people, Elise, Carl, and Josh 
are now they've all gathered together and they need to go back and stop the Black Bride and his mother. Yeah, because she tells him, you got to go to where she lives. Uh-huh. And he's like, I don't remember where she lives because you took that away from me. And she yeah. goes, all right, well, then let's go talk to the younger you because we can do that in the first. Uh-huh. Yes. And so that's why they talk to him. He points to the door because he was being haunted at this point by these ghosts. And so they're trying to find their way to these ghosts so they can stop them. Meanwhile, so they go back, Lorraine and Renee go back to the house expecting Carl and Specs and Tucker to have right. already drugged Josh. Yes. And then they get attacked by Josh instead. Yes. And Lorraine gets locked in a bathroom or something like that. And Renee is being chased around they the house by Josh. They end up hitting him. And it's very frustrating that they just, they hit him once. He goes down. Okay, cool. We don't have to deal with him anymore. The boys yes, show you up. Do the boys show up? The babysitter drops them back off. He's about as to he's kill a killing Renee. Renee yes. and Dalton knocks him out with the which was ball. awesome. But, but yes, then they just run away. Him. Yeah, keep uh-huh. wailing. But part of them is like it's still his dad. You yeah, know, it was hard true. enough for him to hit him to save his mom. That's and so true. they run down to the basement to try to save themselves. And they're like, "That is not your father. He's possessed. I have no idea where your father actually is." And Dalton has the bright idea. I can do it. I can find dad in the further. And he falls asleep in like two seconds. But again, I explained earlier. It's astral projection. I don't think, I think he's just learning how to astral project when he's not sleeping. Yeah, it's not sleeping anymore. Yeah, but he he says, I need to go to sleep, but I don't think he actually is. That's what he calls it. Yeah. So. Kid. <laughs> yeah. So Dalton, in the further, goes and finds Elise, Carl, and his dad, Josh, who are being swarmed by all these spirits. And they also see the history of the mother forcing her son to be a daughter because I guess the husband left. Yeah. So uh-huh. I guess that means you have to be a girl now. I finally get what I wanted. Oh, well, yeah. And Dalton had the can and the string, which we mentioned earlier, so they can find their way back. And they're like, oh, you're so smart. Ties himself to the house. Oh, I hated it. He does not say smart. He says, clever boy. Why? Why, James Wan? Why would you do that? It's, I mean, the clever and then boy slash girl. Like, you think of Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's supposed to be clever girl. Yeah. And it's supposed to be from Jurassic Park. Why is this old man Carl like, says, oh, what a, what a clever boy. Well, because I don't think you're supposed to think of Jurassic Park. We just happen to. How can you not? It's, I don't think it's an intentional reference. I know it's not. It's just, that's what you think of. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh, totally. But anyway, they managed to find their way back. And Elise, this is the weird thing that that is a little bit confusing to me. Because the Black Bride ends up just disappearing when Josh takes his body back. Elise beats the shit out of, so the. Well, no, here's, what's hap- here's what happens. Uh-huh. They destroy the mother. They kill the mother oh, in the memory. Okay. And yeah. that is his strength. I liked this. I want to explain this. Okay, yeah, you're right. The mother is his strength. Uh-huh. That's why she said, that's why Elise said, you've got to go after the mom. Because the mom is really his strength. That's where he gets all his vitality from. That's where he gets his drive to kill. So when they take out the mother figure... All of his strength, all of his grip on Josh's body is forgotten. He loses that grip. And that's when Josh can swoop in and take over the body. Yeah, we get to see Elise just 
smashing, I, is it the mom or is it Parker with the rocking horse? And I think I need a gif of Elise smashing the camera with this rocking horse. She just keeps lifting it above her head and slamming it down. And it's just fantastic. Just regulate, Lin Shay. <laughs> there are, if you pay attention, there are a lot of rocking horses in James Wan. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, there are. Well, there are several rocking horses that all rock in in Parker's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's just in this movie, though. But there's, there's a, a theme lot of, of rocking horses. I think they're in The Conjuring. They're definitely yeah. in the first movie, yep. movie uh, Insidious. Um, I think they might be in Annabelle. Oh, Jesus Christ. Annabelle. <laughs> Lots of rocking did horses. Did he do Annabelle? He did not. Good. No. God damn it. <laughs> Fucking piece of shit movie. So... We get the same view that we got from the first one where the camera is sort of zooming in and backing up, but not for the not for the Hitchcock zoom. It's a it's a completely different effect of like you just get this feeling of the soul reentering Dalton right as he wakes up, you know, and it's a really kind of neat effect. And then Josh also snaps out of it and he's fine and he needs to convince his family that it's really him again. I played your song. Yeah. Tried everything. And I love Patrick Wilson. Yes, he's so great. And Renee, she said earlier that for the first time in their entire relationship, she didn't recognize him. And so she has this moment of like recognition when she sees his face and it's actually him. And she she says, I should have known that that was you because it was just so terrible. <laughs> and they laugh and they hug. And then Tucker, and Tucker bursts through, through the ah! Bring it. <laughs> Bring it, yeah. Much like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so then both... Patrick Wilson and Dalton are ready to forget. And Carl does the same thing that Elise did to Josh when he was young. But Uh, the movie's not over. It's not. And this is frustrating because you think they're leading into the next film and and they they are are not. not. So. Unless maybe that's what four is. No, because. I don't know. The end of this movie is a reference to the lipstick face demon. And. Is it? Yes. Okay. So. Tucker and Specs show up at some random house and they said, uh, we were here to help you with your possession thing you got going on. And the little girl is like, who's the lady standing behind them? And it's Elise. <laughs> yes. Right. And so she goes in and she's looking around and she talks to this comatose young woman. And then we hear the creaking wood sound of the lipstick face demon. And then she looks and makes that face and the gasp. And then it's the end of the movie. Yep. and But we don't ever get to but see that But that's not story. what happens. Instead, three is a prequel. And it's bullshit. Three sucks Well, that's so the thing. Bad. No, I'm going to have to watch it again to see if it stands up on its own. I was just so disappointed after how well these two movies went together. Mm-hmm. That three was just a prequel with a different family. Completely all this stuff. different people. And I'm fine with this story being over. I'm fine with it. Stop making the movies. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to continue making the movies, it's just a little bit of a bummer. They started to make it. Now it's about Elise. And so since Elise is dead, well, we got to make it a prequel. And now Tucker and Specs aren't in it, which is like, oh, man. Yeah. But everything you liked about these movies is just gone. Yeah. Just so we can have Lynn Shea. And I love Lynn Shea, but it feels cheap. 
But I will say, this is why I'm, well, it's not why, it it makes me feel better about the possibility for Chapter 3 actually being a good standalone movie, because it's still written by Lee Winnell, and it's his directorial debut. He directed Chapter 3. So. Whatever. He also wrote Saw, and he starred in Saw, too. Yes, he did. Yeah, which was directed by James Wan. Anyway. That is Insidious Chapter 2. Anything else to say about it? No. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? I feel like it didn't do well. I feel like people didn't like it, and I don't understand why. I don't get it. I think it probably, probably like a 76. Try 39. Wow. And listen to this. Listen to this. Insidious Chapter 2 is decidedly short on the tension and surprises that made its predecessor so chilling, fuck you, it's the exact opposite Disagree case. completely. It seems like the people that are reviewing this negatively were like, we want more tiptoe through the tulips. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, no, that was not what I was there for. I was very, very sad. And I was, I loved the surprises in this. I loved the tension in this. Mm-hmm. It has a Metacritic of a 40. Wow. The average review score is a 40. Wow. But get this, CinemaScore, which we've explained in the past, it's just a survey of people having seen the movie in theaters. It had a B plus. Good. Which was higher than the original film. Good. Of a B. Good. I am totally satisfied with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the reviewers are talking about in Mm-mm. this case. I just don't get it. Now, the original... Had a Rotten Tomatoes of 66, which is insane to me. That is so low. So low. You gave it an 81. I gave it an 85. What will you give this one? Like I said, I think this one is even slightly better. I'm going to give it an 85. I will stick with 85. I think both of them complement each other so much that you should be watching both of these movies together. Uh, the fa- the idea that James Wan learned a lot after the first one and then The Conjuring and then made this totally makes sense to me. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I agree. I think it is just a shred better. And it's because all the things that, yes, like I said, in the theater scared the hell out of me upon a second viewing, not so good. Now, maybe this one didn't shock and scare the shit out of me quite as much, but it still holds up as being as good as the first time I saw it. There weren't any of those moments where the lipstick face demon is behind Josh's face and Barbara Hershey sees it and freaks out. There weren't any of those jump scare moments. I would say, though, that this movie is creepier. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's just unfortunate that they had to bring the whole gender swap trans thing into it, but... We've we've talked about, we've mentioned what our thoughts are. And it's, I mean, it's unfortunate because I'm sure a lot of people are like, well, this kind of ruins it for me. And I, I would get that. I would understand that. But I really personally enjoy this movie. Kelsey does too. If you haven't, for whatever reason, watched either one of them, watch them together. Highly recommend it. Yeah, highly, highly recommend it. Anyway, that is our Father's Day episode with 1989's Stepfather 2, Make Room for Daddy. <laughs> And 2013's Insidious Chapter 2. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is a summer fun 
recommendation week. Now, one of them is going to be impossible for you to find. We had to download it, and we don't do that very often. We really, really don't. We have been recommended movies in the past that have been impossible to find, and we have said we won't do them because they're impossible to find. But this particular movie is right up my alley, and it's so something I would want to watch that we had to download it. Yeah, and it's almost like, you know, if you can't get your hands on this movie anyway, you know, why not learn about it from our show? And it was recommended to us by Lex. So Campfire Tales. Yep. From like 98 or something. I can find out. It's got James Marsden. It's got Amy Smart. Is her name Amy Smart? 97. Is her name? Yes, Amy Smart. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. And we're going to pair it with Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yay. We watched that on our honeymoon. We really liked it. Yeah. I mean, granted, we were watching it on a laptop in a in a bura in Fiji. <laughs> hey, so the the context was weird, but we did the same thing with Ready or Not. I didn't like that movie. I liked it. The reason we had to watch movies on our laptop, we had downloaded those for like the the flight. Uh huh. Now, okay. We're on our honeymoon and we're in fucking Fiji. Yes, we are outside most of the time or we're doing other things. Yes, I understand. But, you know, you're about to go to bed. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, like, you know, watch a movie. There wasn't a TV in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so we just put a movie out on our laptop. <laughs> so it, we haven't actually watched this movie on a large screen or anything like that. It'll be our first opportunity to do so. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, to be clear, we're watching the Campfire Tales from 1997. So, Lex, I hope that was the one that you were talking about. There so. is a Campfire Tales from 91, which appears to be Hungarian, which seems like it's a very similar. I don't know if the 97 one is an American remake of the 91 Hungarian one. I do not know. Either way, that's the version we're watching. The 97 one from America starring James Marsden and Amy Smart, along with... Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Which was also recommended to us by... Diane J. There you go. So, it'll be a fun, spooky story. Yes, it's a spooky stories week for the summer. Hooray! That is next week. Until then, you can find us at our website, podcemetery.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery, and subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Don't forget to rate and review... A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even better than that is sharing us with your friends, and even better than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. Happy Father's Day. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? It's lunchtime. It's quesadilla time.
I say daddy like that now all the time because of whatever happened to Hellraiser. baby Jane. Oh. Yeah. But he also I'm says writing it that way. a letter to daddy. <laughs> I've written a letter to daddy. He also says it that way in Hellraiser. Yes, come to daddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come to daddy. Oh my god, I'm so <laughs> upset. He says I must look like Frankenstein to you. Uh-huh. Cuz he has scars on his chest. And then she says no, Frankenstein was a monster. No. Actually, Frankenstein was the doctor. Oh, so no, fuck you, Kelsey. Would fuck not you. be no, all cut up. No, no, no. We are not doing that. That is so um actually cliche. That is not happening on our show. Stupid. No. It's unless unless you're going to make a joke about how cliche it is for people to correct people it's on in Monster um, Squad. Um, actually, you Frankenstein is the doctor. He is the doctor, yeah. and that was a movie from the '80s making a joke. You are being serious in the year 2021. No, <laughs> go back to the scars thing. That's what I had to say about it. Stupid. It is It is stupid that that upsets you. No, it's stupid <laughs> that it's in the movie. Wedding time, right? We're just, we're at the wedding now, right? I wrote down, how did he get a marriage license? His identity does not exist. How did he get a marriage license? With the brand that Kate's funk. What's her name? Lorraine, Elise, the Black Bride, Renee. Renee. Are we we sure this is the right version of Campfire Tales? Yes. Because there is a movie called Campfire Tales from 1991. And there's a Tales from the Campfire from 2017. Do you want to watch that with it? A grizzled derelict tells a quartet of horror tales to a trio of young campers. Is that what you'd rather watch? It's Hungarian. No. (laughs) It's lunchtime. It's quesadilla time. (laughs) 